Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. And hello, I hope you are happy, joyous, and free despite the chaos and calamity that is surrounding us. We have an incredibly special guest today. I am absolutely thrilled and honored to have one of my heroes on today, Colleen Patrick Goudreau. This is a woman who has been at the forefront of positive change in terms of lifestyle in America for many, many years. And now she has come out with a new book uh, called The Joyful Vegan. And maybe it should also be The Joyful Vegan in a time of crisis where everybody's rocking in the fetal position, wondering, oh my gosh, what happened? So Colleen, thank you so much for joining us. Tell us about The Joyful Vegan especially in the context of what's happening today. This is an evergreen. It's going to be on Spotify and iTunes for a long time. But at the day we're talking is the day the stock market is crashing again. People are being told to stay in their homes. The coronavirus crisis is literally paralyzing our world. And of course, it all stemmed from the consumption of animals for food, something the mainstream media often usually, almost always, neglects to mention. So take it away, Joyful Vegan. (laughs) Hi, thank you, Jane. Thank you so much. It's always good to talk to you. Uh, So yeah, I wrote The Joyful Vegan because, look, you know, when you're doing something that is part of the minority and everyone else is doing something else, you're bound to uh, experience challenges. And so I've been guiding people to manifest their values of compassion and wellness uh, in their behavior for 20 years now. And over these many years doing the podcast, doing classes, doing workshops, etc., I have heard from thousands and thousands of people who share with me all of their wonderful stories, their epiphanies of becoming aware is really how I characterize it, and uh, and whose lives are changed by this. We all know that feeling of how wonderful it is to align your values with your behavior. Um, and, and I have also heard from many of those same people, as well as other people who share the challenges and difficulties uh, being vegan in a world that wants you to eat meat, dairy, and eggs. And so that is both in terms of our own kind of immediate social circles, uh, in terms of our family members, our friends, uh, our coworkers. And then, you know, as you start to get outside of that concentric circle, and the wider, uh, you know, sphere of just interacting with people who don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, who think it's totally normal to eat animals, so why should you stop, who give you pushback, who are defensive, who make fun of you, all, all of the things. And then even wider than that, you know, just in terms of convenience and accessibility in terms of good, healthful uh, food. So, so just by virtue of being a minority in a culture that's, you know, eating so many animals, uh, I wanted to address, and I have been doing that, but I identified 10 stages of what I see people going through when they stop eating animals. And that's how the book is organized, is addressing all of those different, um, 
challenges. And what I'm really thrilled about is having identified them, it just gives a name to them. And like, if that alone was helpful, like I'm so thrilled by that because it at least makes people feel that they're not alone, that everybody else goes through this as well. And then of course, from there, I provide some tools um, to help people manage those challenges and have solutions. Yes. And by the way, if you ever see me looking down, it's because I'm sharing out this video. And Colleen, I know you have a huge fan base. So I urge you to take this moment while I talk and um, share it out as well. Um, we are right now in the midst of, yeah, you can go on your, your you know, uh, and, and share it out. I Thank do. you so much. We're in the midst of a crisis. And um, I just wrote an article on Jane Unchained about how the news media is very much dancing around the issue that all of this began with the eating of animals and the abuse of animals in the food system. Okay, it started in China with bats. And yes, people eat bats. It was in a wet market, which is a meat market. There were chickens and bats and wild animals and all sorts of animals, blood, feces, guts, eyeballs. It's a cesspool of disease. And as the zoonotic expert who had been trying to warn people about these live markets said, it's mother nature's revenge that we're experiencing right now. That wasn't me. That was an expert saying, you know, for years he tried to wake people up to the fact that this um, cesspool, uh, these live markets, which are ginormous. In fact, uh, you know, Richard Engel of NBC and uh, 60 Minutes Australia have done really good um, in-depth profiles and they show these live markets which exist all over Asia. And by the way, there are live markets in the United States of America. Right now as we speak, there is a demonstration going on outside New York City Hall. I talked to these activists on the phone before we went live where they are practicing social distancing but holding a demonstration saying you've got to shut down the live markets in New York City. I've attended protests and gone live for Jane Unchained at these live markets. And I know it's not because the big argument is, well, it's not wild animals. How do we know? I've seen frogs. People have reported turtles, rabbits, hares, all sorts of animals that might be wild. And even if they're not wild, it's still a risk. Look at mad cow disease. Cows are not wild animals. Look at the swine flu. Pigs are not necessarily wild animals. All these animals who are suffering the pig flu, the swine flu, are forcibly bred into existence uh, to be tortured and consumed by humans. So when you look at the totality of it, the eating of animals for food is posing an existential threat to uh, humans around the world. And nevertheless, despite all that, the network news stations, with the few exceptions I mentioned of animals uh, of uh, 60 Minutes Australia, Richard Angle, these are special reports. But in the daily conversation, these news hosts are still not talking about why eating animals is destroying us. It's destroying our health. It's destroying the climate. It's creating water scarcity, human hunger, uh, because animals uh, are a very inefficient food source. And so this couldn't be more timely to talk to Colleen Patrick Goudreau than right now, because you're talking about the resistance to change. One, you're talking about people who have made the change facing tremendous resistance, walls going up. And two, you're talking about people who might be interested in making the change, being discouraged by our society, which has 
a short-sighted investment in getting people to continue to eat animals and to wit the TV commercials in between the coverage of the coronavirus or meat, dairy, and pharmaceuticals, the three industries that would collapse if people started eating plant-based, getting healthy, and uh, taking the power back, taking the power back when it comes to climate change, taking the power back when it comes to their health, taking the power back when it comes to their own moral instincts. So uh, please weigh in on that, Colleen. So, yes, Uh, obviously, you know, I I have an episode on my podcast going live tomorrow that's already set for production for um, release and publication. It's called uh, Why Vegan Uh, Pick a Reason, Any Reason. Uh, And it's something, you know, I mean, you know, whatever reason motivates you, like whatever motivates you to stop eating animals, fantastic. Uh, But we do live in a culture that it's, you know, I have to say, I think a lot of it is that it's not necessarily only that people are so, uh, so attached to eating animals as they are attached to not changing. And I think that's a huge part of it. And so a lot of these habits are inbred. They're just like, just ingrained, not inbred. (laughs) That's another conversation, but they're ingrained uh, in us both, you know, from a personal standpoint, from a um, family standpoint, from a cultural standpoint. And so that, that's definitely what we're seeing in terms of the coronavirus. I mean, we have to talk about also the wildlife um, trafficking trade, because that's actually one of the real issues behind this particular virus, um, is that it, because in that in that market, uh, there were live animals who were taken from the wild, and that is one of the ways. I mean, that's probably how it actually um, got passed on to humans, and so that's a huge issue as well. And that's a perfect example of you know a culture that is really you know I mean China has a lot of work to do. We all do. All of all of these countries do uh, in terms of um, helping end the wildlife trade. So we are seeing some conversations around that, and I'm encouraged by. That uh, I'm encouraged by the work that conservationists have been doing to try and stop this wildlife trade. It's a multi-billion-dollar uh, industry. Um, so, but that's an example. And right now, China has temporarily banned uh, live markets, but they're making an exception for traditional Chinese medicine. And that's something where we see an, a real attachment to animal products in traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, and that's a perfect example of just because it's been ingrained in that culture for so long, it's difficult to change it. And so we all have work to do in terms of changing our minds and changing our behavior. And a lot of it, I mean, it starts with us. We have to know, we have to feel confident enough. We have to feel um, courageous enough to actually, like I said, you know, manifest our values in our behavior and then understand why people have so much pushback. And I think it's really important, Jane, to talk about, you know, it's, I I don't think people walk around with the agenda of, you know, I don't believe that people walk around wanting to hurt animals. I don't believe that at all. Uh, But I do believe that people are very resistant to change. And once something is ingrained, it's very difficult to change it. So for us who do make the change, I think just understanding that is the first step in in, in, in inspiring others, but also in interacting with others and, and having conversations that lead to, I think, um, I think, um, you know, better decisions. So there's a lot to do on a personal level, but obviously a lot of it has to do with a much, you know, grander level, uh, in terms of right now we're so dependent on animal agriculture, as you said, it's just a huge part of our culture. It's a huge part of our economy. And, uh, and there's a lot of work to be, to be done there. And so, 
yeah. So, but it does start with us. And, and of course, that's why I always encourage people to look inside their own hearts and, you know, what are their values? You know, what are your values and how, and what does it look like to manifest them in, in your behavior? If, if you have a dog or a cat at home, as so many millions and millions of Americans do, and you wouldn't uh, castrate your dog without anesthesia or cut off his tail. Sorry, Rico doesn't like it when we talk about this stuff. And uh, he's our little rescue from Puerto Rico. And uh, torture them in many, many different kinds of ways, the way farm animals are tortured. People would be outraged if you did any of those things. You see people, if somebody yanks their dog, they get scolded on the street. And yet we just create these walls as a culture where it's okay to do all that to cows and pigs and chickens and lambs innocent little lambs, uh, where, so our, it's selective indignation. It's a case of, we're going to allow, we're going to basically make a, an agreement, all of us together, that those beings don't, <laughs> those beings don't count. Their suffering doesn't count. Their, uh, pain doesn't count. By the way, uh, a, a breaking news update just came in. UK tells everybody avoid all social contact. Our society is collapsing. And I do believe it is nature's revenge. I do believe, and that wasn't my phrase, that was the expert who had been trying to tell China specifically and the, the Asian world to shut down their live markets. But as I mentioned, let's not point the finger at one culture. We have plenty of live markets right here in the United States. And as I said, right now as we speak, I just looked at my Facebook page and, and we go live around the world. There's a uh, protest going on right now in New York City. They just went live. Uh, demanding New York City's live meat markets be shut down in the wake of the coronavirus pandemic. The virus started in a live meat market in China. So that just happened. So I was writing an article for Jane Unchained last night, and I was looking for a quote, and I came upon George Santayana, who was a famous philosopher, and he said, those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. That's his most famous quote. But another quote he said is that when people are not ready to hear something, they ignore it or they flat out say it's wrong based on no evidence just because they're not ready to hear it. And I feel that people are starting to be ready to hear it. So people, young, I don't know who's coughing, but somebody's out there. Um, but uh, people may be ready to hear it, but it's the news media that is not ready to talk about this truly inconvenient truth. It is the truth that dare not speak its name. And if you wanna know why, all you have to do is look at the TV commercials. And so this is really a, an abdication of responsibility. We've got a caller, Lisa from California. What is your question or thought for Colleen, Lisa? Hi, I just wanted to uh, make a statement that has to do with uh, the live markets and the connection to the slaughterhouses in America, that when you have animals living in such close proximity to one another, they're going to get sick. That happens in factory farms. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that uh, the amount of antibiotics that we use to deal with these sicknesses is making us sick. And now we've taken this to another level where these wild, these wild and wet markets abroad, not only in China, they've shut most of them down, but there are other wild markets in Bangkok, in areas in Thailand, uh, in Vietnam, where, where these wild animals are being sold for food. So these wild animals on uh, these, these, these wet markets or live markets, 
need to be shut down. We need to have a global movement to shut down these wet markets because they're breeding grounds for these novel viruses. And the most recent one is the SARS-CoV-2, which is the virus that causes the disease COVID-19. We need to shut them down. I wanted to know what, uh, Colleen, what you, what you, if you have any ideas about how we can address this problem on a global level. And hang up, please, so we can not get feedback. Thank you. Colleen, that's a good question. How do you address that? Well, I do think, um, you know, there have been a lot of people who've been working on the issue of wildlife trafficking and conservation and and these live markets for a long time. So there are organizations who are working in China. I mean, you can look at, um, you know, Humane Society International, lots of wildlife organizations um, and conservation organizations. So I would say contact them and ask them how you can get involved as an individual. I mean, obviously this is, you know, specifically starting in Asia, uh, there's a lot for the government to do. And, you know, the the government is, like I said, they have already shut down the live markets, but it's temporary. So they are supposed to, by the end of the year, change some language uh, in their laws around live markets. And this is an opportunity right now to make sure that they make them permanent and that it doesn't make an exception for traditional Chinese medicine. So I would reach out to the organizations who've been working on this issue. Yes. And I think that's a great idea, but I also think we need more. We need more. We need a global conference that says this has to end We need federal legislation here in the United States to get rid of these live markets. I've been to them. As a journalist who covers animal rights, I've covered protests at these live markets. I've been inside. I've seen these animals, these terrified animals. It is, um, it's horrifying and it's barbaric. All slaughter is barbaric and unnecessary and horrifying, but it's a process. It's not gonna happen magically. Let's start with these live markets. Okay, this is a wake-up call to the human race. Paige from California, you are on. What's your question? Hello there. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Um, I just, uh, I I was going to pivot to a different direction because I'm just so excited that Colleen is on this program and her books are incredible and so supportive uh, for people who are, transitioning or people who have other people in their lives that um, are uh, animal eaters, basically. So I just wanted to thank you, Colleen, for being on this program, and thank you for the work that you put out there. What do you see for the future here going forward when it comes to, um, you know, us as vegans um, getting our message out? Um, and putting, you know, putting it out there so people really, really get the connection. What are your thoughts? Thank you, Paige. Thank you for hanging up. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you, Paige. Thank you so much for that. Really appreciate it. Uh, and so, yeah, so one of the things you had mentioned already, Jane, was around the blindness that we have. And I talk about that in the first chapter of The Joyful Vegan, which is the will, which is willful blindness. And we have willful blindness on a personal level, on a cultural level. And so there's a lot we can do um, again, to understand that that's what's happening and to and to modify it. Uh, so what do I see? I mean, I do think good will come from this. I, d- I do think it's probably going to be less than what a lot of vegans want <laughs> because, uh, because right now the conversation is not about that. It's not about particularly eating animals. And I think it's because of the unique, uh, um, out- how the outbreak started particularly in a live market. So that's why I'm talking about wildlife um, trafficking uh, because that is really the issue in that sense. Uh, But obviously 
we've known about zoonotic diseases and we've known about zoonotic diseases that come specifically um, from eating animals, obviously from raising animals. We've known about this. I just, you know, rebroadcast my episode from 11 years ago called the lethal gifts of livestock. People like, you know, Jared Diamond have been talking about this for decades. I mean, this isn't new, but honestly, I just think it's just one more example. Like I said, pick a reason, any reason. Uh, there are a lot of really good reasons to justify not eating animals. And I do think that we are moving in that direction. It, it's slower than all of us would like, but I do think with legislation that's happening, I do think what we're, you know, in this case, I think we're going to see changes in the wildlife um, trafficking, which I'm thrilled about. Uh, but also I think the, the, you know, just the increase in plant-based products, we're seeing, you know, animal product companies who are buying and investing in uh, plant-based products that's happening, clean meat that's happening. And I think what we can do is just continue to just celebrate the joy of, of, you know, living vegan, but not just living vegan. It's just actually supporting plant-based agriculture, cellular agriculture, uh, and moving away from animal agriculture. Uh, and I think, I think it's happening. And I think, you know, I think, you know, we're, we're seeing it and we can, you know, continue to support it in, 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 in our way. Well, I hope that everybody gets a chance to check out your book. Can you hold it up? Because I, I just want everybody to see the book. Obviously you can order it on Amazon, the joyful vegan, and it actually outlines the, the 10 steps that um, I, I want, I don't want to mischaracterize it. So I'm going to have you tell okay. us about the 10 steps when we come back from break. We're going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Are you ready for provocative discussions with some of today's most powerful movers and shakers? Tune in to The Art of Significance featuring Dan Clark, the modern-day Napoleon Hill, who interviews the wealthiest, most successful celebrities and business leaders on the planet who are using their influence to change the world. From authors to entertainers, sports figures, educators to military leaders, Dan covers multiple topics. Tune in every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on Instagram. Make sure you follow us and comment on our pictures from behind the scenes at our radio shows, live events, and around the network. We want to see what you have to share as well. Check us out on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. 
Uh, hi, I'm Jay Velez Mitchell with our mascot little Rico here, our rescue from Puerto Rico. We're so excited to have Colleen Patrick Goudreau, the author of The Joyful Vegan and uh, many, many other works, a leader in the plant-based movement. And we're talking at this extraordinary time in our culture, in our lives, where our entire global culture has been paralyzed by a virus that came from eating animals at a live market in China, uh, but there are live markets globally. So I think we've, we've already clarified we need to shut those down, but we, we really need to delve into the psychology that is creating the willful blindness uh, amongst, for example, the news media that, that will talk about this ad nauseum till you're blue in the face, till you fall asleep on your couch, but they will not talk about the fact that it stemmed from eating animals. You have 10, 10 steps. Describe those 10 steps, Colleen, and how they might relate to this particular issue. So I call them 10 stages of what happens when you stop eating animals. And I, I emphasize that they're not linear in that you can go through many in a day. You can go through them and come back again. You don't end 10 and then that's the end. And they're also not mandatory. These are not steps to take or stages to take. Um, to go. They're actually just experiences to identify with. So first of all, um, once you have an epiphany, which so many people do uh, when they realize the effects of eating animal products on the animals, on their own health, on the environment, etc. The first thing that usually happens is literally like over consuming everything that you could possibly read, watch, listen to in terms of kind of validating what, um, what you've just learned. So bearing witness is the first stage where you quite literally say, how can this actually be happening? It's when you like watch every documentary and thank goodness for the documentaries that are out there. When you read every book you can, when you listen to every podcast you can, that's stage one. Stage two uh, tends to be um, remorse and regret because you realize how, like, how could I not have known? And that's the question that all of us ask ourselves is, you know, we're intelligent people, you know, we listen to the news or we watch, you know, we're connected with people, we talk, we care. How could we not have known? Um, so I address how to manage that particular stage in stage two. Stage three is coming out. And that's when you tell your friends and family, your coworkers that you've made this change. And so I talk a lot about navigating that stage. Um, stage five, jumping ahead is is anger. And a lot of that comes from having told your friends and family, you know, your, about your new um, awareness and behavior and habits. Uh, uh, and nobody does anything about it. And we see how large this issue is, how to manage the anger uh, and so on and so on. I talk about community and the need to have like-minded people in your life. I talk also about community in the I, I sense- really, I find this fascinating. I want to hear the rest. I really do want to hear the rest of the 10 because I can't wait to dive in and get the details. This is so informative, Colleen. This is really- um, a psychological look at the transformation, the evolution to mm. uh, a peaceful, nonviolent diet. Go ahead. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and one of the things I emphasize is that, you know, the journey doesn't end once you become vegan. The journey just begins. And so there is kind of the pre-vegan journey. And a lot of that has to do with the don't tell me, I don't want to know, which is my favorite chapter in the book. It is the book called Willful Blindness. It's chapter one. And I think just for anybody to read that book, it helps you just understand why we are the way we are, why we think the way we do. You know, you mentioned before about your dog and dogs. I mean, wouldn't do to dog 
dogs, what we do to uh, animals we raise for human consumption, but we do. We're able to compartmentalize all the time. We can even compartmentalize uh, dogs and cats because we can say, well, um, they are being used in laboratories, so I'll support that because it's for the betterment of humanity, uh, but the dog in my home, for, for sure, and that's what we tell ourselves because basically, I mean, so willful blindness is our solution to cognitive dissonance because we do know that animals have to suffer in order for us to eat them. And so we can, you know, we have a choice. We can either change our thinking about those animals and about our behavior, or we can change our behavior. And so we see the changing of the behavior in, you know, people who become vegetarian and vegan. And we see the changing of our thinking when we make excuses, when we say that animals don't feel the same way we do, or that cows and pigs don't feel the same way dogs and cats do. The point is, that's our remedy for the cognitive dissonance. Now, I am a consummate optimist, uh, but I'm also a realist. And the, my takeaway from that is that people really do care. That's why we have to be willfully blind, because we know that there's a problem with us, you know, torturing animals and exploiting animals for our own taste buds. So I'm of the mind that that's actually very helpful. I think people aren't insensitive. I think people are so sensitive that they don't want to know because they know they were going to be compelled to change. So that's chapter one is, is willful blindness. But the rest really does talk about all of the journey that we go through um, when making this change and, and how to navigate it. Because I'm not just, you know, here to put up a mirror. I want to, pro- to provide solutions. And so in any one of these stages, you could get stuck and that's a risk. And so, of course, what are the risks of getting stuck and not managing these stages that I've just been talking about? The anger, not having community, not being able to communicate, uh, not being able to come out to our friends and family. What, what, you know, what, like, what are the consequences? Well, the consequences are certainly stopping being vegan because that does happen. Uh, but also the consequences are not being joyful and not being hopeful and to me, that that's pointless. I mean, you know, most of us do this because it feels really good and because it feels really right. And what I really emphasize, and I have been in all of the years I've been doing this work, is that we can be passionate, we can care, we can be active, but that doesn't mean we have to be miserable. And that doesn't mean we have to be outraged. There is a fine line between being passionate um, and being, um, you know, proselytizing and being outraged all the time and being angry all the time. Anger can be an absolutely helpful uh, tool uh, toward an end, but it should not be our end. So that's what I talk about in The Joyful Vegan is how to navigate all of these different challenges we have um, so that we can stay vegan, but we can also stay joyful. Yes. And as you're talking, I'm listening and I'm also tweeting out. So I urge everyone share, tweet. We can do two things at one time. You can tweet this, you can share it to your friends because every single person who hears this, you know, I have a very fabulous, wonderful vegan community. I'm blessed to have incredible 70 plus volunteer contributors who give their time and their effort and they are relentless in helping animals. Uh, 24-7, 365. I also know people who are not vegan, who are my friends. And um, I I recognize the willful blindness that is uh, basically a reaction to the cognitive dissonance that they don't want to see. But there are some people I just can't get around. And no matter what I say, what I do, the shutdown occurs. You know, I have this documentary that I did, Countdown to Year Zero. Jane Unchained News Network did this documentary. It's streaming now on Amazon Prime. It's free for Amazon Prime members. 
And a lot of people have seen it. A lot of people have seen it. Um, some of my dear friends, though, refuse to watch it. And they will say things like, I don't watch television. Well, wait a second, but you're just referring to the debate that you saw the other day on television. Um, no matter what I say, no matter what I do, they are this wall of willful blindness because of their cognitive dissonance is so strong that I am perplexed. I don't know how to deal with it. Since you've obviously analyzed this very deeply, and I do feel that this coronavirus is an opportunity to say, hey, right? I mean, I had someone who was crying, sad, 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 who's a meat eater. I, I just responded, wake up. And I sent a meme. But that sounds a little angry. How do we deal with the willful blindness and the cognitive dissonance, Colleen? Oh, that's the million dollar question. Uh, so, you know, I have my opinion. I'm sure people have their opinions. But, you know, one, you know, look, first of all, we have you said that you're perplexed. It's not perplexing. And that's why I wrote that chapter is because it's not a mystery. Like we know exactly what it is. And so I also really encourage people through this journey to remember that we were once willfully blind. We have to remember that we too were once willfully blind. I had the same journey that so many people did, started not eating land animals, then it went to fish, then it went to animal products, uh, you know, like eggs and, and, and cow's milk. Uh, but I was there and I have to remember that that. And so that's my first thought is that we have to remember that we too were there and, and, and remember that so that we understand why someone else is reacting the way they do. Just having that position will help us interact with people differently. Number two is absolutely everyone should be using their voice and everyone should be sharing their passion and sharing their truth. But there is a point at which you have to say, I'm planting the seeds, the rest are not mine. And if we try and bulldoze it and we try and force it, not only is it not like, that's just not how people are. That's not how people operate. People literally will recoil more when you push harder. So I'm not saying, and again, this does not mean don't, don't speak out and don't share your voice and don't do your work. But there is a point where you have to say, the rest is not mine. The rest is theirs. And we have to trust that they're getting seeds from all these other places as well. We all know what it's like with family members. I mean, there's conditioning. What I really love about your book and the subtitle the tagline or whatever, it's like in a world, being joyfully vegan in a world that wants us to continue eating animals. The world wants us to continue eating animals because people are making a lot of money, not just off the animals, but off the pharmaceuticals that they sell us when we get sick from eating the animals. So uh, this is really against people's own self-interest, and yet they feel that they are expressing a personal choice. Can you address that? Yeah. So, so just, just again, like we, we, it's not just because we're hearing it from the media or from these companies, we are social creatures and our need to belong and to feel part of a group is in, innate. And so it's not just that it's that it's supported by everybody else. It's supported by culture. It's supported by companies. It's supported by our families. So it's not, it's not only that we're hearing it because there is a vested interest from the companies. It's also because we want to feel like we belong and we don't want to feel like we're an outsider. And so again, I can, you know, I can only speak to how we can respond to it personally and culturally, but I will say this too, even with the companies who are making animal products and some people might not agree with this, 
but I don't believe that everybody who wakes up who's who's producing animal products is waking up because they hate animals so much they want to torture them and they want to kill them it's a profit-based company and so what that means is if they could make as much money not killing animals they would do it and I think we're seeing the evidence of that we're seeing the evidence of that in terms of them like I said buying and and investing in plant-based companies because they see the writing on the wall the writing on the wall is this is not a sustainable industry it's not sustainable from an environmental standpoint from a health standpoint and obviously from a public health standpoint uh and you know etc so so their motivation might be profit but that means that that's all the more reason why we can be hopeful about what they're doing and what they're seeing in terms of changing their business model. So that I'm, that's why I'm very grateful to all of the companies and all of the people who are making these products and doing such a fabulous job do, marketing them and, 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 and scaling up. I mean, it's, it's a tremendous amount of work and effort and risk to do this. So I'm encouraged by that. But from a personal standpoint, we have to start from the place of understanding why people are resistant and understanding why people push back. And it's not just because the culture is saying it, it's because you, someone else, your family member feels threatened that you're now making a change that is, that is a commentary on who they are. So there's a lot to talk about in terms of- Oh my God, uh, your book, I can't wait to dive in. Can you please hold it up? Uh, I know you're a very discreet person. You don't want to do self-promotion, but this is important information, the joyful being- and what I really like about it is it's it's really a, a psychological book that analyzes our, it's, it reminds me of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross. When I was in college, I read On Death and Dying by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, talks about the stages of grief, you know, uh, shock, denial, anger, uh, negotiation, uh, depression, acceptance. I'm not sure if I got it right, but something in the, that realm. And so this is talking about the stages of going vegan and the changes. And to me, it's really even beyond going vegan. It's the, the changes of evolution. Vegan is really equals evolution. We as a species are at a turning point. We can either thrive peacefully and evolve or we can go extinct. There's a very good possibility that the human race could go extinct. You ever been to a museum and you see those big giant dinosaurs? They look so powerful. They went extinct. If the planet becomes too hot to support life, human life, animal life, if we destroy all the wildlife, which we are on track to do within the decade, and we trigger an ecological collapse, we literally could be living in a world that is too hot and too chaotic to support human life, or at best, a dystopia, a horrible dystopia. This is just an appetizer of what we're experiencing now, a taste of what could be to come. I don't want it to happen. I am a joyful vegan. Uh, I do believe, though, that we need wake-up calls. And this is a wake-up call. My concern is that People aren't getting the lesson from it because the media is not connecting the dots between eating animals, the cesspool of blood, guts, feces that is any slaughterhouse, whether it's a live market or the latest high-speed pig slaughterhouses here in the United States where they're killing animals so fast that the workers can't keep up because they approved recently high-speed slaughter, horrific, sadistic, pure evil of 
animals that are far smarter, pigs are far smarter, sorry, Rico, than our dogs. So the lesson, you have to get the lesson. If you don't get the lesson, you have to get the lesson again. You have to get, you have to eat. You're, when are we going to learn the lesson? That's my question. We're going to go to break for uh, a, a couple of seconds. We're going to stay live on voice. Uh Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best-kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for The Forbes Factor. We get Guarantee it will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We are here with the amazing Colleen Patrick Goudreau, her incredible book, The Joyful Vegan. I am going to ask you one more time. Yes, hold it up. It's a great book. <laughs> I can't wait to read it because it is really a psychological breakdown of what needs to happen for people to evolve to a plant-based lifestyle. And uh, I really, really, I get a lot of vegan books and many of them are incredible, but a lot of times I go, well, I already know that I'm a vegan. I, you know, uh, but this one I'm going to dive deep into because I want to understand the psychology. I want the lock, the key that is going to make people change. Um, and you know, a lot of times it's human health. Um, uh, somebody I spoke to just last night, who has eaten meat for a long, long time. We were talking about stocking up and uh, uh, somehow the conversation got to stocking up on soups and veggies and canned goods. And uh, then I found out that he had pretty much gone vegan. He went vegan because he went to the doctor. He had horrible health statistics. They wanted to put him on a bunch of pills. And because his daughter is vegan, he said, and I think his some other relative through marriage is vegan. He said, well, wait a second. Let me just try before I go on these pills to change my diet. He came back uh, a couple of months later or a month later and his stats were wildly improved and the doctor was shocked. And so now he told me last night, he said, you know, I'm pretty much vegan now. What's your thought on that transition? 
Oh, I think it's fantastic. Again, pick a reason, any reason. I, you know, I don't, I, I am encouraged and I encourage everybody to make changes, whatever motivates them that I'm excited about. Like, it doesn't matter like what motivates people. Now there are data, um, on what keeps people vegan. And there is some interesting data around, you know, cause we, you can look at health vegans versus, uh, ethical vegans. And there's some interesting data. And one of the I think most interesting uh, data points is that people are more inclined to stick with something when it's part of their identity as opposed to it just being something they do. And so that's something I would encourage people to. Yes, I agree. We've got another caller, Bridget from California. Hi, Jane. Hi, how are you? Hello. Good. How are you? Good. What's your question? So, thank thoughts? you. I, I just want to comment. Thank you guys so much for speaking up right now. It's such an important time to speak up. I'm quarantined at home with my two kids and I've been vegan for 24 years. So <laughs> I hope people wake up, you know, I'm sick of this and it, it needs to shift. It does need to shift. Do you see, yes. Does, do you see it shifting Bridget? Um, slowly. Yes. I live by a college and I put out pamphlets and I talk to the students and I just see the younger generations more awake and aware of what's happening, but you know, you can't get everybody. I try. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Thank you so much, Bridget. Keep up the good. I don't want to say fight cause it's not a fight. That's old language. Keep up the good, uh, whatever. Uh, struggle. How about that? Keep up the good, uh, proactive, life-changing work that you're doing. Um, Colleen, here's the thing. I want to unlock the puzzle that is going to shift those people in willful. Your first chapter is about willful ignorance, which is cognitive dissonance. And you're right. Different people are going to be motivated by different things. Some are health. Some are going to be they see a video and they see how horrible this is, how terrible, how disgusting it is, and they just lose their taste for it. You know, kind of like I eventually lost my taste for alcohol after I made a fool of myself one too many times. I was that party person, if you know what I mean. And uh, I still make a fool of myself, by the way, all the time, but I remember it now. But, um, you know, what they say about alcoholism is first it's fun, then it's fun with problems, then it's just problems. That's kind of what's happening with meat and dairy. You know, back in the day of leave it to beaver or whatever, you know, it was all lovely. And now with the industrialized agriculture and the fast food, it's uh, problematic. And now it's horrific. It's gotten to be just problems. And nevertheless, you see in between the coverage of the coronavirus crisis, commercials for wings, hamburgers, ribs, lobster, and then pharmaceuticals. I feel it's time to hold the media to account uh, and tell them that they are being, basically they're censoring the information by not talking about the connection to eating animals. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, you, you know, look, the, the media, they're the gatekeepers, right? And they're also individuals with their own biases. I mean, so that is like, again, so just, you know, I, I'm just more inclined to see them as individuals making these choices rather than just some higher level, you know, kind of 
I don't know, conspiracy isn't the word, but I, you know, these are individuals, right? So, okay. So what does that mean? So we have a voice, all of us do. And I believe very much in using our voice and sharing letters to the editor, writing op-eds. I'm a writer. That's what I do. Not everybody has to be a writer. One of the things that I've been really, um, I really recommend people do this uh, in terms of writing letters to the editor, because often when something like this happens, people feel very reactive and feel very powerless and they scramble and they don't know what to do. And a lot of it's reactive. One of the things that I really encourage people to do is create letter, write letters to the editor that you keep in your Google doc folder and, you know, Google drive folder and write them as a Google doc. And every time, so when, you know, Thanksgiving is coming around or, you know, St. Patrick's Day or lots of different holidays, or if there's something like an outbreak from a foodborne illness like E. coli or salmonella or something like this, you have a letter ready to go and have that letter. Now, letters are reactions to news stories. You can find a million news stories about this issue or about like, you know, when Thanksgiving is coming and everyone's killing turkeys or whatever, right? So you're going to find the news stories and then you're going to go find out what the, um, what the requirements are to write a letter. 200 words, 500 words, 600 words. Have those ready so that all you have to do is tweak a little bit that, you know, would say I read your article about X and I wanted to make sure this is also heard. And there's lots of tips online about how to write a letter to the editor that's going to be printed. That's something I really believe in. And this is an opportunity to do that. I don't think Facebook, I don't think Twitter. I don't think Instagram is really the main thing we should be doing. If we want to get our voices out into mainstream media, we have to get out into mainstream media. So that's a letter to the editor. You can also write op-eds. It's an opinion piece. And again, you can go to any regional, local, national paper and find out what the requirements are to write an editorial and, uh, and submit an editorial that is about an issue you care about. If this is it, then write it. So I am someone who just believes in being proactive uh, and being active and not reactive, and uh, but being vocal and using our voice and then yeah. stepping back and letting go. You know, you're my hero, Colleen, but I have to disagree with you slightly. <laughs> I believe that um, social media is super important. Uh, and so I would say do it all because, um, for example, our Jane Unchained News Network in 2018, we reached 17.6 million people on Facebook views, views of our content. And so I know that social media is a way to do an end run around the mainstream media blackout. I agree with you. If you want to reach one person, I will tweet out at people. I have tweeted out at Rachel Maddow. I mean, super intelligent person, obviously. She should be making the connection. It's obvious. But, you know, she's a person who goes fishing and who uh, had at one point said to my shock and horror that the only thing she had in common with President Trump was their love of uh, certain foods, meaning I assume fast food. And so when that's cognitive dissonance right there, and she's a highly intelligent person who can master the nuances of the Mueller investigation, makes me puzzled as to why she can't see this and staring her right in the face. The willful blindness sometimes is even stronger among highly intelligent people. You know, they talk about that with addiction. They say that addicts, it, it IQ has nothing to do. You could be the worst addict in the gutter. You could have the highest IQ. Sometimes because the um, addiction hijacks the mind. And when you're in your disease, you are working for the addiction. You're a zombie. That the more intelligent you are, the more that hijacked brain is going to work to destroy yourself. 
So that's an interesting phenomenon. So uh, the, some of the people who are the most blind uh, are some of the smartest people. Uh, Kim from California, we're about to run out of time, but what's your question or thought, Kim? Oh, hi. Thank you both so, so much for all the great work you do. I, I had a question that was kind of off of what you're talking at the moment, but often I, I've seen movies and I've, and uh, I've, there's tons of wonderful books such as Colleen's. And I, I wonder sometimes when you just see a person in the street that you know could go vegan or could benefit from going vegan, or my own personal non-vegan friends, they ask me, how do you do it? And I recommend a book or I buy them a book or whatever. But is there an organization out there or a nonprofit that takes somebody by the hand and just really guides them to go vegan? Because it seems so difficult for your average non-vegan person, it seems to me. <laughs> Thank you, Kim. Thank you. Great question. Yeah. So my 30-day vegan challenge uh, is exactly that. I mean, I, I, I didn't know you were going to ask that question, but obviously um, that's what this is. And so that's where I would start with people and again, let go after that, but saying, hey, there's a, there's a program. You can do it through the book or you can do an online program. You can go to 30daysveganchallenge.com and I literally walk you through every step, everything related to the transition. So having resources to be able to give to people is so key. And then again, Stepping back because we cannot take credit for people who become vegan based on something we give them, just like we can't take blame for them not becoming vegan, despite us giving them something. So that is my message is do the work, use your voice, send them resources, share resources, write your letters, do it all, talk to people, and then you have to let go. You plant the seeds and you let go. That is the only way you're going to be able to do this sustainably and to stay joyful doing it. And effectively, I think it's even more effective. And I would also say, hopefully, that when people do make the transition, they often become very, very proactive. I was the biggest drinker you've ever met. You know, I used to brag about how to cast iron stomach. I could drink men under the table. And now I'm going to be celebrating 25 years sober. I'm going to knock on some wood over here in a couple of weeks. And I am the most, you know, intense advocate for sobriety because my life was transitioned by it. Like I said, I could be dead. I could be in jail. I mean, I could be sitting in a bar having a ridiculous conversation with a stranger that I don't remember tomorrow. So once you hit bottom, once you have that moment of clarity, you can really transform. It is like being born again, not in a religious sense, but in the sense that you wipe the slate clean. We do not regret the past. We hope that our experiences will guide other people. Um, and I think that can happen with going plant-based. Colleen, you are fabulous. Your books are amazing. Guys, you're locked up. This is the time to do some reading. <laughs> the Joyful Vegan. Hold it up one more time. The Joyful Vegan by Colleen Patrick Goudreau. What an incredible, basically takes you through the journey of evolution to a peaceful, nonviolent diet. I am so thrilled that you spent the time with us. I have admired you for so many years, and uh, I just cannot wait to dive into that book and get all that wisdom. We can turn this nightmare, this global nightmare, into it can have a silver lining, a uh, rainbow, and there's one way to do that, and that's by eating the rainbow. Guess what? 
There's more variety in vegan plant-based foods. If you're scared of the word plant-based, just uh, vegan, just say plant-based. There's more variety. It tastes great. We have great time. Um, I have a new cooking show on Amazon Prime, New Day, New Chef. Super fun. We have a great time. We make, show you all these recipes that you can do, vegan pasta, burgers, tacos, anything that you can do with dead animals, we can do without them. Thank you, Colleen Patrick Goudreau, and we will see you next time here on Voice America Radio. Thank you to Tacey Trump, our executive producer, and Andrew in the control room. See you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week.